Excited to have you today. Um, hopeful for Go Weekend coming up around the corner. We've got some big projects. Uh, men, need a special plug to our men and our teenage guys. Our ladies are going to be starting a, a study that we want them to be a part of on that Wednesday starting the 7th. So we need a couple things for our guys to do. One is we need some of you to step up and teach Bible class to our children on Wednesday nights. We need you to step into that role so your wife can go, or many of our other ladies can go to Bible class uh, with the ladies and be a part of that study for the rest of summer. And then also we need you for Go Prep Nights. And so we're going to spend three Wednesday nights leading up to Go Weekend, 7th and 14th and 21st, and we'll need you those nights. We got Those Go Prep Nights are just as important as Go Weekend, and so... Hope you're here for that. So I know that we've all lost our minds and <laughs> have forgotten how to, uh, to be committed to things, but uh, hope you'll be committed to that and so and a part of that. But uh, we're glad uh, that we have those opportunities. Also tonight, I want to put in another plug. We had about 40 or so take in the first night of The uh, Chosen a couple weeks ago and love to have you here as we watch episode, uh, season one, episode two, which is called Shabbat. It's the Hebrew word for Sabbath, and uh, it's a really good episode. Hope to have you here for that tonight. So let's go ahead and turn to somebody. Tell them glad that you're here. We're going to do a couple greetings this morning. First, we'll just be a hello, glad you're here, if you guys can do that real quick. Get the big hand up. Second part of that greeting. Got one more little assignment for y'all to do, and this may require just a quick thought, but I want you to share with someone around you a family name. It may be your middle name. It may be somebody, an aunt or an uncle. You may have an Aunt Myrtle or an, or an Uncle Clem or something like that. But I want you to share an embarrassing name that is a family name or a name that you have. So someone around you, just turn and share one of those names that you didn't ever want to share. If you guys will do that real quick, just a name that's kind of embarrassing. Now, most of us, probably from our middle school time, about fifth, sixth grade, up into middle school, maybe even high school at a church camp, or maybe you had a teacher that did this to you, or a youth minister, all of us can remember in a time where 10 or 12 or more of us were in a small group, and there was always that time where somebody said, all right, is our mixer tonight, or our icebreaker, we're going to go around and share our middle name. And without fail, there's always one kid. One young lady or one young man who, who, when it came around to sharing that middle name, had that embarrassing middle name. And you'd always see them clam up. They'd go mute or they'd lie to the whole group and they'd say, I don't, my parents didn't give me a middle name, right? Because they didn't want to share that one embarrassing name. 
And I get that. I come from a family that had an Uncle Ansel and, a, and an Aunt Myrna. And my grandmother's name, my great-great-grandmother's name was Murdy. What a great name that is. I was so glad my parents weren't into family names that I didn't get Jake Ansel Perkins. Weird name. Ansel and Gretel. That's all I could think of, right? Kids would have been relentless to me. Where's your bread come trail? You know, whatever, right? But I don't know what you come from. Lori told me she, that this week she has an Aunt Chuck. That is awesome. I want to meet Aunt Chuck. I mean, she had to be, you got to be something special. Well, several years ago, I had a preacher friend who was preaching on a Sunday out of this passage. It's the only time in scripture that it mentions this name. But it's a passage in Isaiah 62, talking about a strange name. It's a restoration of Israel. And it mentions that the land will be called Beulah, right? Now, in the American history, there was a time when Beulah was a, was a pretty popular name. Well, he got up there and he began to riff about preaching about Beulah and connecting with the audience, and he started to make fun of how awful it must be if your name was Beulah. Well, little did Kent know that night, preacher's name was Kent, that we had a lady that only got to come church once a month. She was in a retirement village and her health didn't allow her to get out. She was in her 90s. She came about once a month. And on that particular fateful day for poor Kent, she was in the audience. And he didn't scan the audience very well because she was sitting on the second row. And you can probably guess what her name was. Beulah. Beulah in Hebrew means delight. But Beulah that day did not leave with much delight. <laughs> she was pretty upset that Kent spent about five minutes making fun of her name. Well, this morning we're going to turn to a passage, Genesis 4, and we're going to get to hear a story about a young man with a strange name, an older brother, a name that in our culture almost has to do with evil, but a name in Hebrew that teaches us so much about God's purpose. Of course, his name is Cain. Cain and his brother Avel, or as we say it, Abel. So far, what we've learned in Genesis is this. God has made a good world, a world that can be trusted, a world that flows out of it his goodness and his creative power, and he is looking for, he is partnering with. There is mission in Genesis 1 and 2, a mission given to the first people. Go and make the world even better. Be fruitful and multiply, rule over it, make it good. And God is always looking for people to continue that partnership. And it's with that in mind we open up Genesis 4. Let's start right now in verse 1 and 2. Out of the NKJV. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Knew, that's that word, got it. We've talked about that recently. And she conceived and bore Cain. And said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Adam and Eve give birth to two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain the firstborn and Abel the younger. And Eve declares this great phrase, I have acquired 
or I have received a man from the Lord. Now what's happening in the Hebrew here, and we're going to dive into this, is a play on words. Because Cain's name is important to the entire text we'll read today. Cain means acquired. It's pronounced in Hebrew, Cain. And it's a weird name. Because it's weird to be named acquired. Of course, he's coming from parents that are named Adam, dirt man, and Eve, mother of the living. But this name means to receive or to have acquired. And she does a play on word. She names him, although we're not told that he is ever named necessarily. We're more told that his name is just Cain. He's given this name. We don't know who it comes from, but his name means acquired. And then she declares as a gift, I have acquired a man from the Lord. It's a play on words going on. Acquired, though, is a weird word. We don't use that word that much in English. We don't go around saying I've acquired things because acquired doesn't mean necessarily what we think it does. You don't say, somebody doesn't come to you and say, oh, I like your new car. And you say, yes, I acquired it from yon dealership in Amarillo. That's my best British uh, <laughs> accent, right? Or you don't say, oh, you got the new iPhone. Oh, I acquired it in the mail last week. We don't talk about acquiring things. Acquired is a word not about something I create or something I gain or something I earn. What Eve is declaring and what Cain is named means that I receive. It is a gift. It is about a partnership. So Cain's name is about getting. See, we acquire an inheritance. I acquire immunity from a shot that you all should get, by the way, right? <laughs> we get those, we acquire it. I didn't do it on my own. I don't receive an inheritance because I worked for it. I acquire it because somebody was willing to give it. That's what this word means. And Eve is declaring with gratitude, I have received a gift from the Lord. I have inherited a son. There is gratefulness in her voice. And this is what Cain's name is supposed to mean. She has given birth, and of course she declares that something wonderful has happened. Now we know, right? We know that if you've ever witnessed a birth, it is quite a miraculous event, right? Imagine being Eve and being the first ever to give birth ever with zero knowledge of how it was going to go. It would be quite the understatement to call it miraculous. So she is saying this gift now is named acquired because he is to remember all that he has in his very life comes from the Lord. Now remember, Hebrew names mean something. Your name just isn't a name. In the Western world, we pick names just for fun often, right? It may be a family heritage name like Murdy or Ansel or Chuck, but it isn't a name necessarily in our world that it's often based on essence or meaning of life. We make names on 
how the initials maybe spell out or what sounds good or if we can get an alliteration, right? We had that with the, we had three P's this morning, Peyton, uh, Parker, Peyton, Paris, right? That's what we do. That's cool. I love that about us. But Hebrew names were an identifier. They were about essence. They were about not just what you did, but who you were supposed to be. God changes Abram's name, which was a pagan name, into Abraham. You will be the father of many nations. Or Jacob means hill grasper or deceiver. And God changes his name to be the essence of Israel, one who wrestles with the Lord. Simon in the New Testament, Jesus even practices this. Simon in Hebrew means to vacillate or change one's mind. And when he makes the declaration of you are the Lord, where else would we go but to you? Jesus says, I'm changing your name. Your name is now Rock. Not one who changes their idea or their mind. So that's the idea of Hebrew names. Names that have essence. So Genesis 4 is telling us about Adam and Eve and saying there is a son who is supposed to remember that he is called acquired. Maybe this gives us a hint to more than we've ever thought about this text. Maybe this gives us a better meaning and deeper meaning into this familiar text. Let's keep going into it with that in mind. Verses 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, and some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now the big question of this text always centers around this idea. The offerings, right? Why did God accept Abel's offering and then why did he not look with favor upon Cain's? And the easy answer to that is, well, it says in the text that Abel brought the fat portions and Cain bought just some of the fruit, which is not a bad explanation. But the more I look into this passage, it's not a great explanation either because we're not directly told that Cain's offering was bad. We're not told that he just kind of poo-pooed it or did some mediocre thing. There's not a direct reason given the text about God favoring Abel and not favoring Cain. How do I know that? You may go, well, Jake, it looks pretty plain to me. Well, think about this. Cain wasn't asked to bring an offering. There's no commandment. He does this on his own free will. In fact, you may have never thought about this. He's the first ever person to worshipfully offer a thank offering to God. The first. The first one ever. Yet, God says, why are you downcast? God looks upon it and doesn't offer it favor. It would be similar to a parent receiving two drawings from both of their kids. Now, as a parent, you'd be a pretty bad parent if both kids brought you a drawing and one was much better than the other and you said to one kid, wow, I really like your drawing, and the other kid, you said, well, that's pretty awful, <laughs> right? You need to go to art school, kid, right? As parents, we wouldn't do that. When our kids are children, we would go, these are both wonderful. Let's hang them up on 
the, 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 on the refrigerator. And that's almost what we make God into in this story when we make him into saying, well, one was better than the other. The scripture doesn't necessarily tell us that. It does say, and I'll give you that, that there was fat portions from Abel. But it doesn't tell us why Cain's was looked on poorly. That's because the point of the, the, point of the text is bigger than one just simply being mediocre. There's something deeper going on. The focus of this passage is not on the offering. It is on Cain and his response to sin crouching at his door. So let's keep going with it. Verses 6 through 7. Then the Lord, so remember, Cain is angry. His face is downcast. Here's what happens next. So the Lord said to Cain, the Lord approaches Cain, okay? You got to get this in your mind. Cain is angry. He's downcast. He's pouting in the corner, right? He's doing all the things that children do. And God approaches him and he says to him, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, this is the tension in the story. This is the crucial moment, the apex of the story. It's the beast at the door, scratching at the door, wanting to gobble up Cain. Because he's in the place between the moment of temptation. He's angry, he's upset, and he's comparing himself to his brother. Feeling like a loser in the story. It's a place we've found ourselves thousands, countless numbers of times when we're upset, when we're insecure, when we're anxious or reactive, when we're not at peace with others, when we're in a room full of anxiety. We've all been there in that moment between frustration and losing our temper. In the moment between temptation and scrolling or clicking one more link. In the moment between I could be quiet or I could speak up and say something poor. Between knowing what is right and going along with what everybody else does. That's where he's at. Now remember Cain's name. What's it mean? Acquired. What's it mean? I want you guys to get this out of nothing else. Just know that his name means acquired. His mom gave him this name. And she does this because she has received a gift. And what's Cain's job? His brother is a shepherd apparently, but Cain is a farmer, right? He's a farmer. He deals with the fields Right? And how does a farmer produce crops? He acquires them. That's exactly right. He acquires them. Perfect. Somebody's paying attention this morning. He acquires them. Farmers plant, they water, they fertilize, they cultivate. But do farmers create harvest? Absolutely not, right? Farmers receive harvest. It's a gift from the Lord. Farmers acquire. So what happens in this story if Cain forgets his name? What happens when you bring an offering 
whether it was good offering or not, but what happens when a young man brings an offering and he forgets where it comes from? What happens when somebody comes to the Lord and comes out of repetition and not desire? Well, God says you're letting the enemy crouch at the door. What happens when another element enters into this story, one of fear? See, he's at the point of choice. He's in the moment of temptation. If he remembers his name, what's God say? It will go well for you. He says, will you not be accepted? He could remember in this moment that God is enough. He could remember to trust the story. But what happens when he opens the door to anger? What happens when he opens the door to fear? What happens when fear gets into the story and he starts to compare himself and say, well, dad must like you more than me. The father must like you more than me, Abel. See, comparison, guys, is the seat of fear. Always. And fear is the opposite of trust. Fear is the opposite of trust. And we know what Cain does. Cain opens the door, right? So now Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Whew, there's a whole other sermon there. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened up its mouth to receive from your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops. And then you'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. See, in fear and shame, Cain opens the door to sin. There's so many parallels here. If chapter 3 is the first sin, chapter 4 is just the repeat of the first sin just in a new way. If chapter 3 is the moment of saying, God, you're not enough, chapter 4 is the culmination of what we do when we live out that God is not enough. We will try to take from others what is perceived as enough. There's so many parallels. I want to go through some parallels. You may have never noticed the parallels between Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. Here they are. In Genesis 3, verse 9, God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? In chapter 4, verse 9, God asks Cain. I'm going to switch. Go to that. You guys are probably sick of that popping, right? Okay, we'll just get, get rid of it. All right. So in chapter 3, let me just start over. Chapter 3, verse 9, God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? In chapter 4, verse 9, God asks, where is your brother Abel? Now, the word here for where in Hebrew is not about location. It's more like asking, what are you? Or why are you? It's a word saying, not where have you gone locally. It's a word asking, what has happened to you inwardly? You are different than before. What is going on with you? It's like noticing that somebody's attitude has changed. Somebody's heart has changed. Somebody that was close to God before is now far from God. It's the things that we want to ask each other, but we often don't have the courage to ask. That's what God asks here. Where have you gone? Why have you turned? What has happened to you? In Genesis 3.10, Adam tells God that he hid because he was afraid. 
fear is the reason we hide. In Genesis 4:14, Cain declares that his punishment will hide, hide God's face from him forever. What's he doing? He's afraid. Another one, in chapter 3, Adam and Eve are sent away from the garden to the east. In 4.16, Cain moves further away from the garden to the east. And then finally, in 3.17, the ground is cursed and not fruitful for Adam. In 4.11, God says, because you've done this, the ground will even be more cursed, which is so interesting. Just as a side note, the most repeated word in Genesis chapter 4 is the word for ground. It's a theme that comes up. It tells us something. It tells us something about Cain. This is why I think the point of the story is about Cain's name. Think about it this way. Adam, in chapter 2, is formed from the dirt. His name means dirt man. The curse that Adam receives is that it will be hard to cultivate the ground. Cain, then, is born as the firstborn as a farmer who then cultivates the earth and then buries his brother in the ground and whose blood from his brother cries out from the ground to the father and now as a result of his sin will find even more difficulty yielding fruit from the dirt what's happening is humanity is getting further and further away from remembering who they are you are dirt and for dust you will return you see that? This is an incredibly deep story. I love this story. And I want to give you three implications really quick out of this story, and we'll, we'll be done, and, and uh, we can go from there. But there's three things that I think we need to explore. Number one is not only fear is the opposite of trust, but number one is this, is that God in this story doesn't move. You need to notice in this story God's posture. In Genesis 4, it's Cain that moves, not God. It's humanity that always moves. It's Cain in his insecurity about what he's done and his fear that he won't be accepted. He moves. God's the one that draws near. Cain is the one that chooses poorly. Humanity is the one who carries shame and anger and comparison and rebellion. And that's important for us to remember because we need to be careful about our habit of blaming God for when it's us moving. You with me? When it's us making the mess, how many times do we turn to God and say, how dare you let me get into this situation when it was your own choices that opened the door to the beast that's crouching outside? Right? Raw is that word for sin. That beast. And the idea is... He will devour you. He wants to eat you up inside. God doesn't change posture. Now, that's important to us because we often think as Christians that what God did was kick them out of his presence. No, sin kicked them out of his presence. Cain moves away. He moves. Throughout Scripture, God draws near. He seeks he seeks out Cain to have this conversation. Why is your face downcast? He leads people in the desert after their sin for 40 years. He gives grace. He seeks the lost. He goes after the one to leave the 99. He looks for the prodigal. This is God. 
And it's important to remember this morning for all of us, wherever you came into or wherever you came from, where are you this morning? God's posture towards you has not changed. He still offers all that he has ever offered. He's waiting. He's looking for us to turn because God, even in the midst of the in-between, doesn't move. Second thing I think is important about this passage is that identity is not lost with Cain. What happens is it fades. See, Cain's a farmer. Cain's supposed to live up to his name. He's supposed to be grateful. Maybe the reason, maybe the real reason here that his offering is not acceptable or he doesn't get favor from God is that he comes doing it because he thinks he has to. Have you ever thought through that? And we do that Sunday morning. Brad, thank you for your words this morning. I grew up hearing that we took communion because we're commanded to. Yeah, we are commanded to. But we're commanded to because we get to. If, if your reason for coming this morning is that you're commanded to, maybe you've lost your identity. Maybe your identity is fading. Maybe church is never supposed to be about, well, you better be there. Maybe church is supposed to be about, I get to be there because Jesus is my all in all. See how that fades in us? It fades. Identity fades. Cain forgot his source. He had everything he needed. But instead of going, thank you, God, for what I have, he looks at his brother and he goes, I don't have what he has. Comparison is also one of the, this isn't on the slides, comparison may be the source of almost all our sins. Think about how many of your sins are, are about, I just want that. Or I just want to feel like that. Right? I just want to keep up with this. What he's forgotten. Identity fades when we forget that life is a gift. Cain's crops were a gift. Abel was a gift to Cain. He was his brother. God's mercy is a gift. But what he did was open the door. And, and we do that so often. Some of us, or all of us, right here today, we come in carrying our insecurity, our fear, our shame, our hidden sins that we don't want anybody to know about. We believe that we can control them. We believe the lies. We believe our false persona will get us through this life and more. And we come in and we say, well, I'm supposed to be in church, so I'll go there. And maybe God's looking at us going, I'm not interested in your attendance. I'm interested in your heart. Maybe this morning you're just ungrateful. Maybe you forgot your name. So I think this story cries out to us saying, you have maybe faded your identity, but you can still be who you were created to be. That's what God's saying to Cain. Do what's right, and it will go well for you. And then finally, I think this story teaches us that there's always a way. 
I love the description God gives about sin. It's crouching. It's going after its prey. It's going to devour. It's a strong and mighty force. But then, as much scary words that's behind that, and we should be a little fearful of sin, of course, God also says it can be mastered. You can choose another way. A lot of us believe that sin is just a part of us, right? We have this Western mindset that sin is just within me. Well, it's just who I am. I'm just always this way. I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to be a jerk. I'm always going to be, uh, I'm always going to lose my temper. I'm always going to struggle with alcohol. I'm always going to struggle. That's what we believe about ourselves. Hebrews wouldn't have that idea. The ancient idea of Hebrews, uh, sin, wasn't something that was in you. It was something you chose to do because you opened the door to it. We maybe need to get that Hebrew Eastern mindset back, Right? Because then we can learn that I can master it, that there's always a way out of this. This is, this is 1 Corinthians 10, right? God will not give you something, a temptation that you cannot get out of, right? We think that passage says he won't give you anything too hard for you. That's not what the passage says at all. That's not in the Bible at all, right? That's a, that's a, terrible, that's a terrible misinterpretation of that passage. God will give you a lot more than you can handle. You know why? Because you need God, right? So you can rely on God. But what he does with sin is he gives us a way out. You may be carrying shame, but you don't have to this morning. There is a way forward. You may be carrying insecurity and fear, but you can die to that. Your anger, you can die to that. Your lust, you can slam the door to it. Our hurts can be laid to rest through forgiveness. Our foolishness can be turned to wisdom. And then in the hands of a merciful Lord, our past can become stories of God's victory. See, what we need to end with is this, is that Cain simply forgot his name and simply forgot there was a better way. Maybe we could sum that up with this. You may have not done a lot right your whole life this past week, this past month. But the story that Cain and Abel is trying to tell us through the negative example of Cain is you still can do the next right thing. Praise be to God, church family, that that's true. Amen? Amen. Uh, I'm going to be hard on y'all for a little bit. Guys, that's really good news. Who needs that? All of us need that. Good grief. Man, we have chains on our souls, don't we? We don't realize what Jesus has done. Just like Cain did. Well, I got an offering. I got an offering to give you, God. I got something to give you. I got something I can turn around. I've got my next best thing. I can do the next right thing. That's the hope of Christianity. That's the good news that Jesus has come. He's the Lord of all and everything now can change. That's good news. Man, we, I wish I could communicate that to you. You know, if a preacher could ever communicate that right, we would never have to have a sermon again. You know that, really? If we could communicate the one thing that God's actually trying to say to us through Scripture, we would never have to hear another sermon. Because if we saw one truth, and if we could get a glimpse of Jesus on the throne, sitting next to the Father, it would change everything about us. The revelation would become clear, and we'd go, I never will be the same again. Man, I wish I could communicate that. Wish I could communicate that to myself. Wish I could communicate that to y'all. I'm doing my best up here. 
what I can do is say, you have a choice today to do the next right thing. Whether that's coming to Christ, whether that's reconnecting with Christ, whether that's saying it's time for me to confess, whether that's time for me to stop being downcast and letting sin crouch at the door and letting him in, it's time to do the next right thing. You are not sin. Sin is something you choose. You are created good by a loving Father who has made you to partner with him. That's who you are. That's your identity. It's God's plan. He chose you, he puts you aside, he's ready to use you, but he's not gonna make you. You have to choose it. Let's stand together. If you need anything, we're here for you this morning.